Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. Sapphire is a non-binary friend who has cancer. They have four children and a husband, and were kind enough to give us their time to chat about their experience in the medical system, as well as their experience beating thyroid cancer, and what that treatment was like for them, as well as what their treatment has been like so far with triple negative breast cancer. Spoilers, it's actually pretty good. Um, things are looking up, so don't come away from the super depressed. Sapphire's going to be fine, at least for now, I hope. Um, but it, it's looking more and more like Sapphire will be fine, which is it's something everyone's crossing their fingers for. I learned a lot of stuff from this interview and hope you will as well. Content warning, if you're American and free healthcare bothers you, we will be those whingy Canadians. We're going to be whining about our free free and, and cost-reduced healthcare. This may enrage you. You have been warned. Otherwise, enjoy the session, y'all. I will welcome everyone to another session of Intimate Interactions. I'm sitting in social distanced isolation with slash connected to my friend Sapphire. Um, Sapphire, did you want to introduce your identities and say a little bit about who you are? Again, you're welcome to be anonymous as well. Uh, wow. I never know how to introduce myself because it's so complicated, right? Um, I'm mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sapphire. My pronouns are they, them. Um, I'm a, I identify as a queer non-binary person. Um, of 44 years of age. I am involved in a lot of different communities that intersect each other. Um, I'm, I've been practicing pagan. I, you know, I'm kinky. Woo. I'm Woo. poly. I do what else? I'm a parent. I'm a, I consider self myself a chronically ill person because I've had chronical chronic illnesses for a number of years. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm a complicated human. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I was going to hoot for all of them. And then I thought, you know, this isn't burlesque, Victor. Maybe you should be respectful. I appreciate the enthusiasm. <laughs> so today we're going to talk a little bit about the medical system and you're comfortable talking about cancer and chemo. Oh, yeah, totally. I am very I've to reduce the stigma around being like chronically ill and dealing with especially critical 
chronically ill stuff like right. cancer right. i've been pretty like very open to an extent because I, I don't want to overwhelm people um with right. with my diagnosis and my process and going through all this online on facebook mostly so i'm right. I'm, I'm totally open to that because i think that people should be able to share what's going on in their lives in their lives good or bad <laughs> right and in terms of like content warning stuff if this does overwhelm you while you're while you're listening like you can always of course turn the podcast off you're welcome to skip this episode all that stuff but we will be talking about cancer and chemo yeah cool um why don't you start off with when you got your cancer diagnosis like how did you first find out um <laughs> Funny enough, I was at work um, and I had no, I was experiencing some breast pain and I was like, oh, oh. And like I had a hysterectomy in 2018 and I had pretty much everything removed except for one ovary. So I'd still occasionally get hormonal flashes to the point where it's like, oh, yeah, right. I still have one ovary. <laughs> so I figured right, it was. Right. So I get reminders that it might be that time of the month. I'm using air quotes there because. It was just a hormonal sure. thing. And so I was like, oh, that might be what's going on. And then I was like, wait, that doesn't feel quite right. But I was at work and couldn't really explore it further because I was at work. Mm -hmm. But when I got home, I did a, um, a self breast exam, which is something that I encourage any person who has a chest breast tissue at all to do at least once a month. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I was like, oh, that that doesn't feel right. There feels like there's something there. It feels like there's a lump. And unfortunately, this is not the first time in my life that I have found a lump in my body, which is not a fun place to be. I had thyroid cancer in 2011. Um, and the same thing is I found a lump in my throat and it was like, oh, oh, oh dear. And so um, because of COVID, uh, things were weird with my, my doctor because they're like, we are not encouraging people to come in. You just can't just show up at the, at the doctor's office or like even book. a. I used to be able to book appointments online, but they stopped doing that because they're like, we're only going to book certain number of people who absolutely need to come in, which is totally fair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I called and said, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's a thing you need to come in and have physically checked. And they booked me in with an appointment with a nurse practitioner went in and she's like, Oh yeah, there's totally a lump there. And I went, okay, now what? And so they booked me for an ultrasound and the ultrasound's like, Oh yeah, that's, that's not, that's a lump. Yeah. I mean, that sounds, that sounds overwhelming. Like how did you, how did you deal with that? Like emotionally when you sort of found out like what, what was going on for you? It was, yeah, excuse my language, but it was definitely an oh fuck moment. It was like, oh, oh fuck. This is, I, I was trying to be rational, like statistically speaking, it's probably nothing. All my research says that that most lumps of people who are my age and they're sort of mid-ish mid 40s usually turn out to be nothing. And even if there's something that, you know, it's usually benign and they take it out and it's fine. And I'm like, okay, okay. And I was just trying to be like, okay, let's, let's just get through the next thing. Let's do the ultrasound first. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, let's let's do the next thing and you know the next thing was biopsy I'm like okay okay thank you for that do the next thing now i've got frozen 2 stuck in my head <laughs> i haven't seen it yet i have um i haven't had a chance to sit down and watch it but i i know i what... blame you <laughs> i have heard it is amazing and i want to watch it i just haven't it's, it's good i haven't had a chance to and yeah sorry i totally derailed you what no, were you saying it's okay it's totally okay yeah and so the the next thing was like okay a biopsy and i'm like okay and then then we did the biopsy and then 
my doctor actually called me and asked me, can you come in today? And I went, oh, as soon as he did that, like he actually, mm-hmm. my actual doctor, not a nurse, not like the reception, not anybody else. My actual doctor called me and said, can you come in? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, they, I know that. Ominous. <laughs> I know that thing. <laughs> and so, yeah, he did. And he sat me down and he's like, I'm really, really sorry to give you this news, but it is, it's, it's breast cancer. And I went, well, fuck. <laughs> Cause that you, sounds about right. I, I mean, it was like, oh, well, I've been here before. I've beaten cancer before, but it's still that moment of, well, shit. <laughs> there. I didn't know you'd beaten cancer before. Yeah. Yeah. When was that? 2011. Wow. Nine years ago. Yeah. It'll be 10 years in April. Um, <laughs> Scott, who's my husband, you know, Scott. Um, yes. Our first date was four days after I got diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And he's been with me wow. ever since. <laughs> On the plus side, like outcomes for thyroid cancer are excellent. Yeah, that is the most highest survival rate and most easily, usually most easily treatable um, cancer out there. And people who have had thyroid cancer usually have a longer life expectancy because I have to go to the cancer agency every year for a checkup. And because of that, they can catch stuff. <laughs> right. So, so. I'm just going to, I'm sorry, you'll have to forgive the science nerd in me. Did yeah. they treat you with radioactive iodine? I, I did because um, my medical history, no, I'm like, very I, happy. My medical history is complicated. I've had eight major surgeries in my life and my journey through thyroid cancer was, thyroid cancer was not normal. It wasn't mm-hmm. straightforward. Again, much like my, currently my breast cancer is like found a lump, did an ultrasound, the ultrasound was like suspicious. I did two biopsies that came back as suspicious <laughs> and they couldn't <laughs> confirm it one way or the other. And so I was like, it was bothering me. It was rather large. It was about the size of a golf ball. And so I went for surgery and because they didn't want me to be on thyroid for the rest of my life, I only had mm-hmm. half my thyroid taken out along with the lump. And that was on, oh. my, on my 35th birthday. That's fantastic. And like, I'm, you kept part of your thyroid. I even. didn't because at that point they didn't know it was cancer. So they came back uh, like two weeks later and said, I'm really sorry. It's cancer. So they had to go back and take the rest of the thyroid out. So when they did oh, the, when they sense. did the first surgery, they discovered the large golf ball sized lump outside the thyroid, a small lump inside the thyroid. And then when I did the other side of the thyroid, there was also, again, another small lump inside that side of the thyroid. So mm-hmm. combined all that together, I was right on the border of whether or not the doctors would recommend mm-hmm. radioactive iodine treatment. Because um, you know this, um, that iodine is the only thing that a th- the thyroid will absorb. So you can yeah, selectively and- target thyroid tissue in anywhere in your body with radioactive right. iodine uh, treatment. Right. Um, so they're like, my radiologist at the time, he's like, yeah, you know, you've been a really interesting case. I would actually like to present you to an international board of oncologists to you know wow. see what they say. And I was like, you know what? This is not the first time this has happened to me because I've had a weird... <laughs> I've had a weird, complicated medical history. The number- okay, I have to ask, when before your last time getting cancer, were you presented to a board of international doctors? You lead an amazing <laughs> life, but please, uh, Well, carry on. like, I've had a number of times 
like we're my medical stuff has been weird and my uh, the doctor i see was seeing this i was like like can i put this in like some kind of medical records i'm like sure <clears throat> like my back's been weird i've had uh weird ultrasounds i've had like when i had exploratory surgery twice for abdominal pains that turned out that maybe it might have been a ovarian cysts they're like that was weird could you mind i'm like nope <laughs> but like the times that i've had doctors well that's not normal <laughs> just making me think of professor zoidberg from futurama when he's like x-ray specs no more blindly cutting in the goop yeah yeah and over the years like the realization that the stuff that my body does is not normal and the fact that i probably have ehlers danlos syndrome which is a connective tissue disorder um, so you will be the fourth person i know, I know with eds I if know. you have eds i know and the scary fact is because it's genetic uh pretty much everybody i'm related to probably has it too and i suspect i suspect all four of my kids have it wow <laughs> which i'm like i'm so sorry <laughs> yeah i can i can understand that learning about that after the fact might be difficult yeah and i'm pretty sure my mom and my sister have it too and anyway what's wow. the sidetrack is that yeah i've learned that i used to think that some of the stuff that my body did was normal but now i've learned that nope that is not normal <laughs> i i resonate with that i've literally i used to think that like the piercing intense headaches that i get regularly um were just normal that people just they, i mean people get headaches sometimes mm -hmm. like why is this a big thing mm -hmm. and then at a certain point i realized like oh no this this is related to gastrointestinal stuff and then i was like oh and it's it's really abnormal to be like on the ground in nine out of ten pain like oh. that's not a thing that's that's yeah. normal to people yeah. and I mean, it doesn't happen to me all the time but you know like if i don't manage my body in the ways that i've just learned since childhood like oh no i can't eat that food or Oh no! I really, I really yeah. can't have more than a half cup of this food. Otherwise, I'll get really ill. Yeah, I, I know um, a number of people with um, Crohn's and IBS mm, and mm -hmm. um, oh crud, uh, um, I can't remember the name of the other one, but it's related, very closely related to Crohn's. Oh crud! Celiac? Not celiac. Um, it's escaping. There's irritable bowel disease as well. Yeah. You're talking about something different. Yeah, though. it's escaping me at the moment because brain fog. <laughs> right. I could look it up, well, but anyway, yeah. So, so yeah, so my radiologist at the time presented me to a board. The board came back saying, "Yeah, you're right on the borderline, and if you want to do it, you can." And and so at that point, I decided to do it because I wanted to be like, I want to know that I've done everything absolutely possible to make sure I never have to go through this again. I did mm -hmm. chose to do the radioactive iodine, which was a really weird experience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Say more about that. Yeah, well, because I had to go off my Synthroid, which made me super fatigued. Like, I had, like, zero energy. I spent two weeks on the couch just being a potato. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then I had to go into the hospital with it. And I had to be in an isolated room at the top of Vancouver Hospital. It is lead-lined because I was going to be radioactive for two days. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a really nice hospital room. It was huge. I had my own bathroom. <laughs> I had a great view right. of downtown. Um, and then the, what, a, what a great way to get treated for cancer. Like yeah. of all of all the types of cancer to have and then of all the places to be, you're like, I am in. And, and how much did that cost you as a Canadian? Nothing, thankfully. 
right? Like there's so anyway, sorry, I I don't mean to be an asshole. I'm just I'm <laughs> no. just like observing. I'm like, that sounds great. As much as of obviously having cancer is fucking terrible. It it wasn't great. I will say it was not great. I'm sorry. Hang on. Can we pause for a sec? All right, I'm back. <laughs> great. Sorry about that. Scott usually no, calls no about this time saying he's on his way home for work, which is very sweet. He does it every day. <laughs> it's very sweet. Um, where was I? Right. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about you getting treated <laughs> with this beautiful view. Yeah. Right. That you technically became a superhero for a short moment in time. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. So, like, the whole process was, like, the nurse comes in with this lead line box. <laughs> And she has to take it out. And it's, again, this this really, really weird container that's also like this lead-line cylinder that she takes out and gives you this little drink and you got to drink it. And then from that moment on, you're radioactive. And so every moment that the nurse comes in, they knock on the door um and say hey and i have to be on the other side of the room so they, they there's like a little taped out outline of where the food tray can go and put Aww. the food tray in because i'm radioactive and they all all the nurses on the floor wear the little badges you know like you see for x-ray attacks and stuff right right because they're all exposed to radioactive people because it's it's the same ward where a lot of other people folks um get radiation and other treatments that make them radioactive and so that they may have to make sure that they're not you know over exposing themselves either and so yeah and like you know and, and if anybody came to visit um which scott came to visit and my ex came to visit um and the kids were a little too young to come all the way to visit um had to knock on the door and they couldn't come in the room they couldn't give me a hug they couldn't give me a kiss or anything like that because i was radioactive mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which is like hi nice thank you it's good to see you i love you miss you bye <laughs> it was weird <laughs> and that then, is strange and then because i was radioactive when i went to the washroom i had to flush twice <laughs> <laughs> which okay. is like a weird thing that you never really think about but mm -hmm. yeah and then when i went home i because my kids were under a certain age at that time, they couldn't sit next to me or hug me or kiss me for the following week after I was done my treatment, which was the hardest Aww. thing ever because they were, let me think about this, it was almost 10 years ago, they were nine and seven at the time. Aww. So that was that was one of the harder things. Like going through surgery was challenging and recovering from surgery was challenging. Not super challenging, but it's always not great um but not being able yeah. to <laughs> hug my kids was really hard but it was only it was in respect retrospect it was only a week and it passed and we moved on but yeah and mm -hmm. it's like <sighs> there's like yeah because of my complicated medical history i uh, my opinion of the canadian health care system is a little I'm going to say jaded. Yeah. <laughs> because it is amazing and it is wonderful and it is awesome. Because every time I've had to deal with it for like urgent stuff like cancer or uh, because I ended up with preterm labor with uh, two of three of my kids and ended up in hospital on enforced bed breast and then having pre them having two premature births and them being in a hospital for 15 days respectively each 
I didn't wow. have to pay for any of that or any of the tests or other stuff, supportive stuff that they needed. Right. My son, who's now 22, uh, when he was first born, was almost got intubated, thankfully didn't, but it was on oxygen in an incubator for 24 hours after they weaned him off at over 24 hours, but didn't have to pay for that, you know, that, you know, yeah. all that stuff, you know, and my... But there, there are things that aren't covered. There Do you want are. to talk about some oh, of God. the things? Um, yeah, there's prescriptions. Prescriptions are the ones that get me the most often because mm-hmm. uh, I've been a single parent on welfare before. And mm-hmm. what they don't tell you about fair farmer care is that, yeah, you're when you're on welfare, you're 100% covered. But you have to hit your deductible first. Right. And, and it, people don't get that like two, three hundred dollars of a deductible can be crushing. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. It is like there's I don't know how many times when I was super low income that something would come because I have asthma and I've had asthma since I was a kid. And in winter time, I would usually end up with bronchitis or pneumonia at least once mm-hmm. and have to get um, expensive steroid puffers, which weren't like are covered most of the time. But when you haven't hit your deductible, they're like, nope, sorry, you have to cough up a hundred bucks for your buffer. And I'm like, I need to eat or pay rent or, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. live. <laughs> and that hundred dollars is the difference between being able to, you know, pay rent or you know, buy food or school supplies for my kids or whatever, right. you know, and it's, and that was one of the frustrating things is like, and and I know so many folks who are in that situation now are still like I have to, you know, you have to pay for, you know, their medications that are either they haven't hit their deductible, so Fair Farmer Care doesn't cover it, or like if they're lucky to have extended medical, you know, that doesn't cover it either because there there are a few medications out there that aren't covered at all. Um, Mm -hmm. like, um, my 17 year old gray is ADHD is on by Fenton, which is not covered at all by MSP. You can apply for, um, special authority, but you have to get your doctor sign it off and you have to do it every, I think it's every six months. You have to get them to sign off on it. And that's a lot Mm -hmm. of work. (laughs) It's a Mm -hmm. lot of work to get your medication covered. So their medication is like a hundred bucks a month. further ADHD yeah, medication and that's and, a lot. and like Ash is lucky now for for folks who are over the age of 19 who are on they have to be um, psych meds and ADHD meds fall under that umbrella of psych meds mm-hmm. um, you can apply for plan G and you have to do that once a year and right. that gets it covered completely so Ash's medication is currently covered <laughs> My um, my vortioxetine, which is my antidepressant, anti-anxiety med, yeah. it's um, not covered by Plan G. It's not covered by Fair Pharmacare. But fortunately, it's this like new proprietary expensive medication. And the company that's releasing it is making so much money. Yeah. Um, when I was researching this originally, um, a company in Japan paid them, I want to say it was some obscene number, like $25 billion, just to have the rights to produce the medication that they'll be selling in Japan yeah. and to give them a large percentage of the revenues. Yeah, I, I ran into uh, recently where I was like, you want me to pay what for this? So when I first started chemo, they were like, they put me on the regular anti-nausea meds, which are 
all covered by far- fair farmer care all mm-hmm. they're not horribly expensive and i hit my deductible and now they're free um <laughs> right but the first month was a little little spendy um but they didn't work my first cycle of chemo was brutal i was so violently ill i was throwing up every hour on the hour it was not a fun time and um after talking to my doctor about it and some of the uh, chemo nurses is that folks who have had pregnancies in the past who have had severe morning sickness which i did i had Mm -hmm. severe morning sicknesses can be more susceptible to chemo and it can make them more sick sick so i think that might have would have happened right anyway my uh, medical oncologist who's in charge of my chemo recommended um, a drug called Akinzio. The okay. problem is it is really, really expensive. It is $155 per pill for this anti-nausea. Now, That's I, I, I will say it worked like a charm. And thankfully, because of it, I hit my deductible and I was able to get it reduced. <laughs> But it was still like, even at 80%, it was like for three pills, it was like nearly, I think it was like a hundred bucks or something. I can't remember. It was a while ago. You're talking about, you're talking about 80% paid for you. Yeah. 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 Once like, regardless of where your deductible is, whether you're on welfare Mm -hmm. and your deductible is low or like myself and my family where our deductible is not super high, but you know, (laughs) yep. Um, once you hit your deductible, Fair Firmware Care will kick in, and then 80% of all your prescriptions are covered. Right. Um, and my pharmacy is amazing, and the pharmacy team at Reach is just like, I cannot say enough good things about them because the six and a half years that we've lived in East Van, kind of, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's also complicated, but I digress. Um, they have gone above and beyond the call of duty so many times to make sure that myself, my kids, and my family get the medication we need when things have been tight. Um, the time They constantly waive their part of the fees to make sure I get medication and they go, like, they're like, hey, did you know you could apply for this thing to get this covered? Or can I renew that for you? And I, like, Afshin and his team are just amazing and i don't know what i do without them and every every time i go in there i'm like you guys are wonderful i should say you folks are wonderful <laughs> and and they are they really are um so i'm super to appreciate Sounds like it it's, i'm super appreciative of them but not not everybody ha- is lucky to have a pharma pharma pharmacy or pharmacist like right. that and yeah and it's so frustrating to me that folks are still struggling with being able to pay for often medication they need to just survive to mm-hmm. to and and to have a decent quality of life i know a number of folks who are diabetic and often like okay their diabetic diabetic medication like their injectable insulin is covered but the um supplies aren't the testing strips yeah all that kind of stuff yeah. um i uh, i know of a, a a person who wanted to get a pump but the pump is not like the newest most greatest pump is not covered by um msp really all that much right and you know they're on disability and they can't afford to shell out like 
I think it was like around a thousand dollars for yeah. for or to get a to get a pump and get it like the surgery like the the stuff to like the actual surgery to get it installed yeah fine that's fine <laughs> right 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 you know and other stuff like uh, you go to the hospital and you break like you've broken your ankle you go to the hospital you get the x-rays as you get you get the cast and stuff that's all covered you leave the hospital and need crutches that's not covered right excuse yep. me I, I need to be able to walk <laughs> you know yeah it's it is kind of strange where we draw lines yeah um and the same with like um a few years ago i because my my back is messed up i my l5 vertebrae which is the very bottom one is slipped forward five millimeters which compresses the nerve in my back i have nerve issues and nerve damage in my back it's it's something that's been bothering me for years i had a flare-up a few years ago where i couldn't really walk and stand for long periods so i had Mm -hmm. to invest in a mobility scooter because i was i was attending school at that time and i couldn't like i can't just stop school until this clears up so i was like and i couldn't get it covered through msp i couldn't get it covered through our extended medical so i like we were okay but we it was 300 bucks a month that we didn't quite really have in our budget we somehow made that work and i had i needed it for like six months right (laughs) you know and it's like what do you do at that point i mean i was relatively lucky enough that we managed to make it work on our budget but i know so many folks who Mm -hmm. are like need a mobility device need a wheelchair need a brace uh all this right stuff that's outside of MSP, outside of often extended medical that isn't covered at all. And a lot of these folks are a low income. And not to mention the ambulance. Yeah. Oh, God, don't get me started on that. That frustrates the heck out of me. <laughs> well, what is the ambulance fee? Is it like $80. Bucks? $80 now. Yeah. And I know this because I had a panic attack in the end of March and I thought I was literally dying like I thought I was having a heart attack or something and I, and I mm-hmm. my husband called up ambulance to take me to the hospital because he thought I was dying too because <laughs> I was like I, I can't breathe um <laughs> yep that's legit um and yep and and they shipped me off and they checked me out I turned out it was a really bad panic attack and you know, I actually, you know, because I was having so much anxiety, I actually got t- tested for COVID at that point, too. But, you know, yeah. Major medical emergency that could have turned out to be like I was actually having a heart attack. Still have to pay 80 bucks. Yep. I've known I've known folks who've had actual medical emergencies where like someone has stopped breathing or something like that. And they've called an ambulance and had to take that person to a hospital and, right. and have that dealt with. And they still have to pay $80. Right, because the ambulance fee is always charged. Which is like, uh, what if, like, and I think of this scenario sometimes, what if it had been somebody who was in a car accident or, like, another medical emergency where that person passes away and then their family gets $80, an $80 bill for the ambulance? Yeah. (laughs) That just seems ridiculous to me. (laughs) Yep. No, there's definitely weird weird um like distinctions we make between which medical services are covered and which ones aren't and the funny thing is sometimes it's like the eight thousand dollar one that's covered and the eighty dollar one that's not i know there's people are like oh how when the uh, federal election was happening was that last year (laughs) or 
<laughs> it seems a while ago, but I think it was sure. last year. And people were talking about, and I, I am very pro NDP federally. Mm -hmm. Provincially, um, I have some bones to pick. Um, sure. Federally, it, it was last year. It, I just googled it. <laughs> Thank you. It's it's twenty. This last year in general has been a lot. But it's been a blur for me. That's why I was like, "Wait, has it been a year?" About and that. I had to look it up. It's, yeah, October. Yeah. Um, so it's been eleven months. Well, yeah, because I there's the last couple of days I've been seeing Facebook memories of pop up of like, "Hey, people right. vote. Hey, vote for the NDP." Because I'm very pro NDP, right. and I was sharing a lot this time last year. Um. I'm a huge fan of Jagmeet Singh, actually. I think he's a pretty mm -hmm. amazing person. And what he had proposed and is still proposing for the Canadian people is definitely a step in the right direction. There could mm -hmm. be more to be done, but has definitely a you know, step in the right direction. Totally. Um, but people were like, oh, how do you know, how are we going to pay for universal, far you know, farmer care for everyone? I'm like... Uh, and there are lots of memes going around and still go around is like covering an $80 pill or like a $50 pill or whatever it costs. The cost of covering someone's prescription is way cheaper than trying to co cover their surgery, their time in mm -hmm. hospital and any other stuff beyond covering their Right, like it's not a sig it's not a significant increase in the budget for healthcare. No, no, there's there's folks in hospital racking up what would be equivalent to like fifteen hundred dollars a day or more, right. because they couldn't afford their their twenty dollar prescription or whatever it is. And uh, other right. and other people folk other folks argue about well, why should I cover an you know an addict's methadone or or um, right what's the word Even detox Sa detox or whatever like stuff like that sure. well and this is something i could go on about forever about sure. like, safer um uh oh, safer harm, injection harm, sites totally harm, harm reduction, harm reduction. that's the word i was looking for that was the phrase i was yeah. looking for harm and reduction typically, stuff. typically it's profitable to society it is and people i it is and and, and i can go on about this too for like housing too don't don't get me started is it, it is literally cheaper to provide safe like harm reduction supplies affordable housing all the stuff that that should be provided for for homeless folks for people who are addicts for all that stuff then to let them die on the street but people are like well they have to earn their way and i'm like no no they don't <laughs> yeah and it's it's funny when you look at scandinavian countries as well oh, there's, there's a lot of support for um different types of social nets and how mm -hmm. they don't actually have to cost a lot of money yeah yeah i mean if i could like pick up and move to germany or norway or other places like that where mm -hmm. Like your your medical is one hundred percent covered. Your 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 education is one hundred percent covered. All this stuff mm -hmm. that that I think that should be covered, that mm -hmm. should be paid for by our government, to make sure that we're lifting people out of poverty, which would solve a huge number of problems. <laughs> As somebody right, who's like, lived like in Jeremy poverty pretty much their entire adult life. <laughs> Right. Like Germany as an economic center is one of the driving forces behind the EU and they have free health care and free education. Yeah. Yeah. As, as yeah. As somebody who has lived in poverty pretty much their entire adult life, how lifting somebody out of poverty breaks the poverty cycle. And that means mm -hmm. that not only does it help me, but it helps my kids and my grandkids. And, you know, it. it, it I will try and get off my soapbox, but it's something I am deeply passionate about. And it's 
something because I'm studying interior design and I live in a co-op. This is how I discovered what I want to do when I'm done school is I want to design basically more co-ops, but in general, more affordable social, sustainable, supportive housing, because providing housing for everybody who wants it, that they can afford, regardless of any kind of income, or if they're productive, I hate that word, would help so many people and break the poverty cycle. Mm -hmm. I should mention that Germany's healthcare isn't 100% free. It's 77% government funded and 23% private funded as of 2004. Yeah. But they definitely have a great template like and then same with like i think i think it was sweden i remember reading about about how they're they're mm-hmm. you know they're they have a good education plan too and a good for like um medical and 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 going back to the medical is like the other thing i think i should be covered is dental and, and eye care because mm-hmm. your vision and your oral health is so tied into your physical health mm-hmm. um getting a regular vision checkup can catch stuff that a regular medical checkup sometimes won't. Um, right. And, and having regular dental checkups, uh, as somebody who has had an oral infection, that can like kill you. <laughs> totally. You know, and being able to, to go to the dentist, and um, be able to get a checkup. Now, mind you, folks who are on welfare and on um, disability are covered for basic checkups, for dental checkups. Mm-hmm. But that's the only option. That is the only time you are covered. And it's only right. basic. Like you can go for a checkup. If they find something, then you got to pay out of pocket. And I've been that in that spot where I'm like, okay, went for a checkup. They found that I needed a root canal. How can I cover, you know, right. a root canal that's going to cost me like a thousand dollars? Yeah. No, I completely understand that. Um, I grew up in a really poor family, and and we ended up being, you know, like lower middle class by mm-hmm. the time um, my dad retired. Mm-hmm. So, um, my mom and my dad both worked, but when we when we started, we couldn't keep three figures in the bank. And by the time I was going off to college. Um, you know, like my parents had somehow managed to put money away for an RESP mm-hmm. and the Canadian government does that matching thing where you get yep. three times the funds you put in. Yep. So they had managed to somehow squirrel away about five grand. And so there was a matching thing where my first year of university, we got our original money back mm-hmm. and then my dad just took the original money back. And I used bursaries and scholarships yeah. to do school yeah. for the first year. Yeah, I I, um, I try not to think about my student loan debt too much. I know how much it is because I've been in school. Oh, I'm f- so sorry. <laughs> I've been in school so, for uh, six years. So ironically, I had student loans by the time I finished as well because I did almost entirely scholarships and bursaries. Mm-hmm. But like five grand for a full year of school that's not going to cut it. No. So I also took student loans, probably not as big as your student loans. Yeah. I mean, I've been lucky that I have gotten a few bursaries and, and scholarships. I got one a couple of years ago for a thousand dollars. I just recently uh, received a significant scholarship from the co-op housing federation of BC uh, because I live Mm -hmm. in a co-op and I was supposed to start my bachelor's this year. That's not happening. Right. Um, uh, and that is going to make such a significant difference because it's, I think it's like 
I'd have to look again, but I think it's like five thousand dollars. <laughs> and I'm like, it's oh, wow. yeah. So that's really gonna help me. Um in the next couple when I do get able to go back and do my bachelor's. Totally. And I was totally floored that they awarded it to me. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure you had to demonstrate something for that. No, it was. I had to write an essay and everything and apply for it and and, and interview for it and um, so why are you surprised they picked you? They have tons of time to get to know you. It's just uh, part of it is that I have really big imposter syndrome. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. And I think pretty much anybody who's I pretty much everybody I know is has a little bit of it because we're all. Yeah. Slightly flawed. But I mean that we're all just human. Yeah. But on. The topic of being human, um, I get off topic a lot, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking we originally started talking about the medical system. Mm -hmm. Do you want to wrap up this podcast, and then we'll come back and do another one in just a second here mm -hmm. and focus maybe on chemo and brain fog and yeah. stuff like that, or we can talk about something different? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for being on this session of Intimate Interactions with me, Sapphire. No worries. So how was it, Intimates? Did you love something you heard, or maybe you're upset by something I said? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions, or you can go to patreon.com slash Victor Salmon, where you can find our Discord server. All of these communities are available on intimatepodcast.com, and I genuinely look forward to speaking with you soon. If you liked it, please consider helping us pay for show costs over at Patreon for as little as $1 per month. It's incredibly helpful. It's just a dollar a month. If you can afford it, we would hugely appreciate having your support. And hey, if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand. You can also help out by going to leave a review on iTunes or other favorite social media platform. Social proof like that helps so much with visibility and audience building. It helps other intimacy and relationship nerds find us. And if any of that just sounds like too much work, you can always do something really simple and it still goes a long way. Something like just tapping share and sending an episode that you liked, maybe a favorite, to a friend or partner, or maybe you can send them something you think they might really like. That's probably more considerate. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time and for your help in keeping us making more of Intimate Interactions. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. The intro music was Driving in the Rain by Timecrawler, and this outro music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw. <laughs>